we don't fall in love with them, but we empathize. Welcome to Amazing Moments in Film. A podcast for people who love to watch, take in, and learn about all the things that make the movies and TV shows they love so great. Hey, it's your host, Mike Howell here, and today's guest is Paul Johnson. And before we, before I kick off this podcast and the recording and my conversation with Paul, I want to drop on you the, uh, just plug it, that you are about to go and listen to a lot of great information about storytelling. Paul is a consultant who uses storytelling principles to help businesses communicate what they do. And he is very well educated and knowledgeable on some of the finer points of screenwriting, storytelling, and the framework that helps movies be successful, really. Um, I know a little bit about that stuff. I'm more of a thespian background in theater and improv from my earlier years in high school and college. And <clears throat> the stuff that he was able to bring to the conversation was fantastic. And I really appreciate it. You're going to hear a lot about um, uh, MacGuffins and a particular storytelling framework or kind of a um, story beat called a golden fleece story uh, what a save the cat scene is some blake snyder information uh, and his book and some of the stuff that we talk about out of that and uh, again as usual we're talking about story arcs and heroes and guides and the things that get them to take action and how that all ties into uh, one of the most successful movies uh, in the box office, anyway, financially speaking, which is uh, Avengers Infinity War. So without much of a, um, without any further delay, here is my conversation with Paul. All right. So uh, Mike here with Amazing Moments in Film. And today we're going to talk about an unpopular opinion, but uh, your opinion doesn't matter because it's fact. And that is Thanos in Infinity War and how, believe it or not, he is the hero of that movie and that story. So um, today we're going to have uh, the guest is Paul, Paul Johnson, and I'm going to give it over to him for a little bit to talk about uh, what he's doing and where he's coming from. And then we are just kind of riff off of that. So why don't you take it away, Paul? Okay. Um, yeah. So I guess I just, I don't have a extensive background in film or anything. I've read a handful of books that was really only spurred from uh, what I do for work. It's just, um, I, I help companies tell stories, um, through marketing and stories are the same. Um, if they're, if a good story is a good story, it follows a framework and that framework, uh, I follow is just called story brand. It just walks through a, a hero's journey. And so I got introduced to that, um, for my marketing business and then 
I saw how it connected to film and I started to dive deeper and um, read Blake Schneider's book and working on uh, Hero's Journey, a couple others. Um, so yeah. Uh, Blake Snyder's got some good stuff on his website. I mean, I know, I know you had, you shared with me, um, a link a couple of weeks ago and that was actually really interesting. Well, I mean, you've shared a couple leading up to this podcast, but, um, he's got a lot of good content on his website. Oh, oh yeah. I was just kind of Googling around just for some, some research for kind of some of this, um, this, this podcast and, um, stumbled upon his website where they just have uh, beats for every um, basically just like a brand script uh, just beats for every film or TV show that you can think of and I mean they had Hawkeye on there already and That's... I was like oh you know my ears perked up and so I read through that beat and I was like okay alright and so I started to dive deeper and saw a bunch of other films and so then I looked up the Infinity War one and went down that rabbit hole and went down about 10 other film rabbit holes as well because <laughs> I like nerding out on the stuff so um, it's really interesting to learn like you read about it and then you learn about it and it's cool like I like it because it takes your like your theories and it meshes them or blends them with like a little more of a formal education, quotey fingers in the air. And then it just enriches it in my opinion. And it, it, it makes you do like the, then Leonardo DiCaprio, like, Oh, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Um, so before we were, before we started recording, I had mentioned, um, well, okay. So let me, let me pause. There's one thing I really want to talk with you about, and we've talked about it before, probably hundreds of times, um, is the save the cat scene. Yeah. And I think, well, I mean, I don't, I thought, and then after researching, I now know for a fact that the save the cat scene is super important for a lot of heroes, but not only that, but, um, for Thanos as well. And I think, I don't know for certain, but well, I think there's a little bit of a theory and I'll let you riff here. I'll tee you up. I think there is, I have a working theory that the save the cat scene is not exclusively, it's not exclusive to like a good guy doing a good thing. Don't know what happened there. <laughs> did you uh what did you miss of anything uh it's not exclusive to cut out oh not exclusive to a good guy doing a good thing and i've got two examples one thanos which we're going to talk about probably extensively with a lot of other things last night i was watching um i watched one of my favorite movies um the dark knight and that starts out with a similar scene for the Joker as to as is to Thanos. Starts out with him robbing the bank. You learn how kind of how really how crazy he is, um, how not self-centered, but like how he's always kind of looking out for himself. 
um, and how he has a greater plan in mind, um, which there's a lot of parallels between him and Thanos in those scenes. And I was watching it and then I paused it and I had to take down some notes, but mm -hmm. thoughts on that, on the not exclusive to a good guy doing a good thing. Um, I think it's kind of a relatively new concept um, because we haven't had a film like Infinity War that was 100% written with the villain as the hero. Um, we've had, you know, anti-hero films and stuff, but they're still a hero. They're just darker. Um, but, Probably not as much as like a guy and Thanos is an interesting cat because he clearly has it out for half of existence. So that's hard to get. Yeah, I beg to differ. Okay, go for it. Um, well, let's back up first because you mentioned save the cat scene and probably all of your view listeners doesn't know what that is. That's so, true. Okay. Lay it on us. Um, save the cat scene. Uh, save the cat by Blake Schneider. Blake Schneider has written thousands of screenplays and several books now breaking down story structure. If you're interested in it by all, like by any means, go read his book, go listen to his book. It'll ruin movies for you in a good way. <laughs> That's true. Um, so the save the cat scene is essentially it's a scene where the, where we understand the hero or we like them, we root for them, we cheer for them. It doesn't have to be like, we don't necessarily have to like them because of this scene, but we need to either feel sorry for them, <clears throat> but it pulls us in their direction mm -hmm. to either be okay with what they're doing or root for them to win. So uh, a very simple classic example is in Aladdin. Um, we actually get two save the cat scenes in Aladdin back to back. Um, so Aladdin steals the bread, hops the fence with um, the monkey. If I forget his name. Abu. Abu. Thank you. Uh, and they're about to break bread together, right? And Aladdin looks up and sees the two children in the trash pulling out a dead fish. And they give him the sad look. What does he do? He hands him his bread and then makes Abu do it. Or he gives Abu the look to give the other boy the food too. So mm -hmm. right there, we're just, we're instantly going, oh, he's a good guy. We like him because he just stole this bread, which you know, designates bad guy. He's a thief, mm -hmm. but he just gave starving children the only food he had. And so we, we do this uh, moment in our brains, but then it's sometimes an initial state of cat scene is not enough. And so they've got to like, add more to it or they want to add more to it. So you really root for the, for this guy. So then they hear the trumpets and there's a, there's a prince walking through, you know, and everybody's all excited and the, the boy and the girl run out into the street in front of the horse and the guy's about to whip them and Latin jumps in the way and grabs the whip and says, you know, pick on somebody your own size. So right there, it reinforces, drives home more that this is a really good guy. You should root for him. Mm -hmm. um that's just a very simple save the cat scene um usually movies that don't do well don't have this scene um or it's a hero that you just can't really identify with um that's where sometimes movies can go different is they just don't identify with the person watching 
Um, but for Infinity War, coming back to, you know, what is that scene? And my initial thought when I first went through it was um, when he wiped the floor with Hulk. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, and I think it, it could be, it actually could be a laying the foundation. You know, here we know Hulk as a badass. Yeah. And he just made him look like chopped liver in a matter of seconds. So right now we're kind of going, oh, Thanos is pretty cool. He's a badass. You know, he just wiped the floor with the, the strongest Avenger. Yeah. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> um, well, it's real. I mean, there's also um, like, I think that for me, when I saw it and I started kind of formulating this, this, maybe this is a save the cat scene just in from a different lens than we're familiar with is um, it like kind of what you were saying, it lays a foundation, but you kind of sit back and you're like, Oh, oh dude, this guy's for real. Like yeah, <clears throat> for real. I mean, because well, if you go back to Avengers one, who was the main villain? Well, I mean, uh, upfront Loki. Right. What did Thor do to him? Threw him like a rag doll. Yeah. Right. Then you go to Avengers 2, Ultron, and he's a robot. Uh, Hulk could do the same thing. You know, he would just transfer bodies to another, right? Yep. So we now needed a villain who Hulk couldn't do that to as well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's there's another moment in that same scene where um, that I think is really interesting is um, so Thanos in that moment. So kind of to walk through the scene shows up and he's doing his thing. He had obviously killed all of these people or or allegedly, I should say, all these death and Asgardians that are dead. So he jacks up the Hulk and then Heimdall sends the Hulk out and then he kills Heimdall. Then it's really kind of casual and you don't really think about it or notice it. And this is probably the 15th time, if not more, that I've seen this movie. And so, and then I, just from an analytical view, I picked up on it. After he kills Heimdall, he gets the stone or he kills, he gets the stone and then he kills um, or no, excuse, excuse me. He uh, kills Loki before putting the stone in the um, gauntlet in the gauntlet. So he kills Heimdall. He kills Loki. And before he puts the stone in the gauntlet, he takes his armor and like, almost ceremoniously deshrouds himself as if a renewal of his character. And then from there on out, he doesn't kill anyone. It's not true. Who does he kill? Vision. So, and that's another interesting thing. He doesn't kill anybody that isn't standing directly in, in the path of the stones after that. Oh, sure. He didn't have to kill Loki. He didn't have to kill Heimdall either. Exactly. He deshrouds himself, and then the only death oh. is 
I see what you mean. Yeah. So then, and even then, well, I mean, Gamora too, but, but he has to do that to get a right. stone. Sure. So that's an interesting contrast where it's like just, and the, even with the behind the um, scene where he Gamora is a little girl, it's, I mean, there's a real emphasis on the death and destruction. I mean, you get to see half the population die behind him and it's kind of graphic compared to some of the other scenes, but think of how many times he could have just laid waste to an Avenger, but he didn't, he just like, you know, he stuck the Hulk into the rock. Um, he, right. well, he stabbed Tony, but he didn't kill Tony. Exactly. Yep. Um, and then the black Panther, he just kind of swatted him off. Same thing with captain America. And then even into Endgame, there was this like, not really a whole lot of death. And I, I, I struggle to say this because I don't know for sure, but I don't think he kills anybody in Endgame either until at the very end when he tells Captain America, he's like, it's never been personal, but I'm about to enjoy what I do. And yeah, so well, those are two, two different Thanoses because they're separated by true. Yes. Five years. True. We have, <clears throat> I think Thanos in Endgame, he's the warrior Thanos. That's why he can handle all three of them fine. Yeah. And especially with Cap with the hammer. But in, in Affinity War, five years, six, seven years, he's the philosopher at this point. He's still a badass, but. Yeah, he's he's the what's that meme say that he's the warrior in the garden at that point. Yeah. Or the gardener, the gardener who can be the warrior or whatever. You know what meme I'm, meme I'm talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, you're better to be. It's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Oh, yeah. Um, That's true. But anyway, back to back to that first scene with Thanos. Um, um, I think, and after kind of researching through some of the like Schneider stuff, so I think we get a little bit of that with the Hulk as it kind of sets up. Oh shoot, he's a badass. I mean, we don't have to like him. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm sure you know us as creatives. You know, it's just like we like Darth Vader. He's a bad guy, but we like his like story. We like kind of of who he is because of his story, right? Mm-hmm. So, but we just see him do <clears throat> something epic, like wipe the floor with Hulk. So we start to lean towards him a little bit, or he be, no, I'm gonna say lean, open the door to him a little bit. Like we just kind of cracked it because we want to see what he does next, right? Yeah. yeah. And then he then he goes, and this is where I think this is the actual save the cat scene is he describes saving the universe in that opening scene. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I hadn't, I, I mean, yeah. I so hadn't right there, we just, way. we don't fall in love with them, but we empathize and understand yeah. what he's about to do. So now we've really opened the door and we're going, okay, I hear you. It's still pretty dark, but it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's a moment of like, I can't get behind that, but I see where you're coming from kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that, so even in the what if stuff down the road in the animated series where he's um, T'Challa is Star-Lord, they even reinforce that in that episode where he's like, it kind of makes sense. And everybody's like, "Eh, it does, but yeah. 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 That's, that's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so actually there's, I mean, I have so many points here about how essentially this is fact, um, going back infinity war, 
is what's called a golden fleece type story. So the golden fleece, you know, Jason and Argonauts um, set across the ocean to go, you know, him and him, you know, so it's, they sailed across the ocean to, I don't remember the background of the story too much, but with his team, the Argonauts to go capture, uh, find the treasure, the, um, the golden fleece, right? So golden fleece type story is comprised of three elements. Um, one, a road spanning across oceans time or across the street. So in our case, across space to earth. Step, uh, second element is a team or a buddy the hero needs to be guided along the way. Um, you know, so inherently we're already thinking, oh, the Avengers, but no, it's the Black Order. It's, his, it's the children of Thanos. Mm-hmm. And, and then the prize is number three. That's as simple as it's the stones. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know, that was kind of like maybe a little bit offbeat, but that's another Blake Schneider thing. He he's broken down stories essentially into types of stories. I think he's got like seven or eight of them um, of what they categorize into. Um, and that's really fun to kind of try to figure out when you're watching film. Yeah. So it'd be really interesting. Um, I think I'm pretty sure I read um, read an article about the Golden Fleece story. I don't know if it was by Blake Snyder, but um, I, I vaguely remember reading it. I was skimming over it. Um, what, what would be interesting? So, okay, so in film and theater, and MacGuffin is, it's kind of a, like a John Doe term. It's, it's a term that identifies something that's, for the most part, irrelevant, but it is important to the story because it triggers. So in this case, the stones are what are referred to as MacGuffins. They're what they are is irrelevant to the story, but they are important in that they trigger, they trigger something with the hero and the, the, the confrontation. So it would be interesting to know if um, in the golden fleece story or really any story in general, it, where like, what was that? What'd you call the third step? The, um, not whether the prize. the prize okay it'd be interesting if the prize is always going to be that trigger to the story that would be interesting to know um so the prize here is defined as a prize that's sought and is something primal so going home securing a treasure or regaining a birthright so mm-hmm. it may not even be the stones it could be salvation as oh, Thanos yeah. describes it, which would, to the universe. Yeah, yeah, which means the stones would be the tool for it. Right. Um, and that, I'm staring at it right now, which is what, what makes me draw the parallel. But in Beauty and the Beast, the rose could be the MacGuffin and the return to, um, you know, like his princehood or be, returning as a human would be the salvation. Right. Yeah, that'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to dive down that or kind of look down that um, that rabbit hole. Of course, the beast is not the hero. Yeah, that true. Yes, that's true. Well, okay. So now, if we flip it the other way and say, well, Bell is the hero, <clears throat> then really, the salvation wouldn't be the beast being human again, but it would be like her happily ever after. In yeah, whatever is defined up front. I don't, 
I haven't watched that movie. It's been a long time since so, I've seen it. You know, it's just, you know, what that salvation, that prize looks like is just going. And that's not necessarily a Golden Fleece type story either. So, yeah, yep, that's true. I'd have to, I mean, yeah, she does leave and go to a castle, but she, there's not a team really there. I mean, she's guided by him a little bit, but they're kind of each other's guides. And I don't know, it makes me want to read that beat now. Um, well, and you've got. Um, you've got the the silverware and the housewares and the decor, right? So in there, but anyway, yeah, it could be like a team, yeah. But they don't really get her to the castle; they only appear after afterwards to that. Um, okay, so we got Blake Snyder saved the cat scene, putting plugging Thanos into that. Um, then Infinity War is clearly a Golden Fleece type story, where he's chasing down the stones for salvation or to, you know, save the, save the existence galaxy universe. Um, and the guides are the now. Okay. So would you say that the guides are the children of Thanos definitively? I don't know what's going on. I'm sorry, man. No, that's okay. Did you just blink out? Yeah. Um, that's all right. Don't worry about it. So, what I'd asked you is um, do you think the children of Thanos are definitively the guide in the story or are they kind of a, a placeholder as the guides kind of move and come and go? Um, I don't think they're the guide at all, actually. I think oh. they fall under the, the team. Um, so <clears throat> the guide, so the, as what you and I know the guide to be is actually a quite different than how Blake describes the guide. Okay. Unpack, um, unpack that. Okay. Well, I can't really fully unpack it because I'm still learning uh, how it's different. So you and I know the guide to be like, um, you know, from StoryBrand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 25 minutes into the movie, here comes Obi-Wan Kenobi. Here comes um, Hamish. Here comes Gandalf. And those all follow that similar structure. But not in this film. Um, There can be multiple guides that help with what you kind of call subplot problems or little subplot stuff. But Blake refers to the guide as what's called the B story. And that's... And it is in perfect harmony with when Gamora is kind of introduced in all of this. When, uh, not introduced in all of this, but when when he takes her back, they go back, they kind of reminisce on her story there. And- A couple of times actually. Right. And then they have to go to Nebula and because he's asking where the stone is at. And so Gamora is, is the absolute guide, the biggest guide um, in this story because she knows where the soul stone is. And so she's going to take him to it. Um, yeah. And there's, and other, there's, otherwise, that, otherwise, the movie doesn't happen. If she's right. not there to know where the stone is, the movie never happens. Yeah. There's, <clears throat> excuse me, there's one part. Actually, 
in this that I really liked. I noticed it watching the film again. Um, so they're on uh, nowhere <clears throat> and Peter's holding the gun at Gamora and she's mm-hmm. saying, you know, do it. You promised da, 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 da. and Thanos pushes, you know, he says, do it. You know, right. He pushes her closer and he pulls the trigger. Bubbles come out. You know, we know how that goes. <clears throat> and he says, I like him and disappears. Right. What I really like about this scene actually is it's foreshadowing because he says, I like him because he did what it takes to win. Even if it means sacrificing what he loved. Oh, that's for somebody that gives me credit on noticing stuff like that. One, I'm kind of like, I like that. And I never made that connection. And two, I'm kind of jealous that you noticed it and I didn't. <laughs> well, that, I might have had help. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> that's that's really good. I, I right? never thought about that. Yeah. Well, and the this I watched the movie. Um, I have this horrible or unfortunate, or maybe it could be cool habit of coming up with these kick-ass theories of like, oh, I bet this is what this means in this connection. And just like the overall theorizing of things and what the story is trying to do and how it approaches it. And then I'll, I'll watch the commentary or some sort of interview and <laughs> they literally say what I was thinking. And it's like, damn it, these guys should not have published this or recorded this. And then I could come out and be the guy that made the comments and be right. But you just got to, you just got to publish it sooner than they do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I watched the commentary of, um, like so unknown. Yeah. So watch the commentary with the Russo brothers, Feig and, um, the guy that did the screenwriting for the movie infinity war. And they were talked real, like real heavily about the emotional connection between Gamora and Thanos. And a, a lot of the things that led up to the situation with the soul stone and how, um, how that really puts it into Thanos's lap. Um, well, that might not be the right term, but basically you almost kind of emp- sympathize or empathize with him because you feel sad and distraught and it pulls on these emotional heartstrings of like, oh man, even though, you know, he's doing it to wipe out half of existence, it's like, oh, that, like, you find yourself rooting for him almost or, or on his side of the table. Mm-hmm. From, yeah, from, you just, you, you open that door more up to him because you start, you empathize and you understand, going back to that Save the Cat scene of, he's, you know, they called him a madman, mm-hmm. but is it all that out of, like, question to, like, think, well, if he's going to save, you know, if everyone dies or only half the people die. Yeah. I think, I think we're in this day and world right now where everybody on the face of the earth, eh, maybe not everybody, but I'll say over 70% of the world would say, yep, scrap half to save mm. the rest of us mm. because they think they're going to be like part of that salvation. And there might be a 25% that says, nope, we all die together. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the other kind of thing that's really interesting about that salvation and what people think and how they feel is 
a lot, in my opinion, I think it's really, really cool is it's not very often that, well, this is a unique situation because the MCU for the last 10 to 10 to 15 years has done an unprecedented job of basically leading up to the moment of that snap. Mm-hmm. Un- unparalleled to any, I mean, you can talk about some pretty epic series like the Harry Potters and the Lord of the Rings. Um, and to a lesser degree, you've got some other trilogies out there that could, you know, that are kind of doing that kind of stuff, but nothing to the grand level and scale that the MCU did up leading up to the end of Infinity War. Right now, what I think is super badass, like next level <laughs> legit, is that we're getting these series now of like what is the world like in that five year period, and what is it like after people come back? So, you've got Loki who's kind of living all over the place, but is re- largely emphasized by the defining moment of his death in that movie, you've got Hawkeye, which is, you know, um, they're, they lean in the first episode, they lean heavily on what life was like during that battle of New York and, and everything leading up to it. And they refer to, I mean, there's a lot of callback to Ronan and what he, you know, all the mad shit he was doing in the five-year period. We've got WandaVision, which is obviously from the death of vision and Monica Rambo was gone during the blip and, and all that stuff. And so we're seeing a lot of like the ramifications and what the fallout of that was. I mean, Falcon and winter soldier is almost exclusively about what it was like when people came back. So I think it's super cool because you see like the people who are like, no, it was fantastic. We wanted to go back. And then you get to see, you know, the misrelationships and the death of family members and things like while while people were gone and all that stuff. It's it's super cool and really really interesting because we've never had it in film before and storytelling. I don't think not at not at such a large level. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't disagree that what the MCU has put together <clears throat> is what we've we've never seen. I mean what are we, 15 years in, 27 films or something that are all interconnected. And I mean, you know, the only thing close would be like any TV show that's ran for over 10 years long. Yeah. I mean, Friends, uh, I don't think how I met your mother did my 10 years. Uh, supernatural in 15 years i mean it's all and that's all interconnected but i mean the tv is a whole different world than the big screen yeah well i mean within the last probably seven to ten years tv series have almost just before streaming became a big thing tv series were almost starting to lean into what films of multi-film so, so like if you have a trilogy or something like that or an epic where it's multi-films and of grand scale TV shows were almost moving towards that where it's the continuation of a long story versus the sitcom style 
where the Simpsons are basically something different every episode and they're not really interconnected with itself. But then you've got friends like the ones you just said, actually, you know, and then you lean on um, what's the one where the teacher makes drugs. Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. You've got um, Game of Thrones, Witcher. Yep. Dexter. Those are all like basically just really long stories that are continued from episode to episode. Um, where movies are shifting towards what TV shows were uh, to a degree. So it's kind of interesting in, mm-hmm. in that, right? In my, I mean, just I'm on a soapbox at this point, but yeah. <laughs> um, or going down a rabbit hole, I should say. Yeah. No, I mean, you're not wrong. But um, it's, it's kind of cool to look at Thanos's what he's trying to do because we get, he wins in the first one and then we get to see probably for the next year or so, we're still going to experience and see what's, what's happening as a result of it, of him winning on that snap. Um, yeah, there's, there's like other elements um, that could just kind of reinforce him being um, the, the hero of the story, how it was written. Um, one being, so the catalyst is what you and I know, uh, the, as the call to action, essentially. So call to action uh, in Star Wars, A New Hope is when Luke's parents, or excuse me, aunt and uncle are burned by the Empire. He has no reason to stay on Tatooine at this point. So that's his catalyst. That was his call to action. Um, I'm trying to, I didn't write it down. <laughs> um, but it was, um, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm blanking on uh, Thanos's catalyst. Like this is what propelled him into like taking action now, like going the next step. And, um, I actually think it was Gamora's death. I was going to say it's probably Gamora's death. Cause it's essentially like, if I don't move forward, I just, <laughs> if yeah, I, was, if, no that's okay if you don't move forward go ahead oh if you don't move forward then it's you wasted everything yeah right? you just wasted her life and so um if i remember correctly from when i was reading um some of those story beats that that was his essential catalyst was okay it's we're you know we're over halfway there kind of thing there's no turning back yeah yeah that's kind of what i i was kind of thinking to myself as you were talking about it um because that's a moment where when when her her death is kind of that there is no turning back it's either i'm gonna die trying or i'm gonna i'm gonna succeed or i'm gonna die trying kind of deal um do you think Trying to think of how to how to condense this down. Um, do you think this movie works if Thanos is not the? I think I know the answer, but do you think this story works if Thanos is not the hero and it's one of the but Avengers with the exact same outcome? 
Mm, yes and no. A- answer to kind of talk about. So if you have an opening scene and either they're laying the foundation, so let's say the, say the same opening scene, but they don't, Thanos doesn't describe what he wants. And then we get another scene of a hero, one of the Avengers, who suddenly describes, we want to stop Thanos. And so therefore we know what the hero's desire is, is to stop Thanos, right? Keep people from dying. And then it goes through a lot of the same scenes. No, I don't think it works. I think it'll confuse people. Hmm. Okay. And that's also coming from, you know, me, who's not an experienced story writer. Well, I mean, yeah, I I don't know. To be honest, I have no interest in writing ever i would never i don't think i would ever want to be a screenwriter but i think it's super cool to talk about um it's uh, this like infinity wars i think and it's gonna sound like a broken record i think it's such an interesting movie and part of the thing that makes it so good is the fact that it is that the the big baddie from the previous 20 some films is like the guy that's basically at the root of it all he is the hero and not only that but it's a massive shift of what we usually see because movies are so predictable they're so i don't think there was a person at large in the public who was expecting to go in there and see that movie and with the snap um there was rumor i mean just because there was rumors out that there was going to be a two-part um so oh, I don't remember any of the rumors. Yeah. So initially it was going to be in 50 infinity war part one and part two. I don't think anybody though expected the snap that we got and how many people we lost in the snap on screen. Yeah. I don't think anybody guessed that. I mean, that was, it was everybody, the original five Avengers basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Is, it was um, one of those situ- I remember I remember watching that and then leaving the theater just like super pumped to have watched a badass movie, but completely demoralized in the sense of I was walking out thinking, what the fuck did I just see? <laughs> and then just like so angry that it not really not that it ended that way because obviously you're we're gonna get the second one or we're gonna see the you know the rest of that story being told but just like now i have to wait (laughs) and i remember thinking just being so frustrated not frustrated but just like the pinnacle of anticipation but you know it's it's kind of like it's a cool feeling, but it's not something you like, I don't know. It's kind of like a to be continued when you were younger and you're 11 years old and you're experiencing to be continued for the first time. And you're like, what? It can't yeah. be that way. But right. Anyway. <laughs> um, but then like Endgame was too much closer for us. Yes. Yeah. We totally. walked away from Endgame being like craving mm-hmm. so much more and mm-hmm. also being like, you know, the Russo brothers just toyed with our hearts, taking away Cap and Iron Man <clears throat> like that. And so 
I don't know, take your poison. You want more? You, yeah, <laughs> you, you get more, but it comes with a cost. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the other podcasts that I, I recorded one earlier this week with um, where we talked about um, Captain America's shield and defying def- the defilement of the shield that happened. And we talked quite a bit about, um, well, I shouldn't say quite a bit. We talked a little bit about, it was not a brief like sentence or two, but we talked about Captain America's, um, his arc from being like, really the skinny kid that we saw in the first Avenger, just, you know, super jacked and really tough and kind of badass to this more um, down to earth, realistic homage to what somebody becomes or, or how they are after experiencing everything that he had experienced. So, you know, he hadn't shaved, looked kind of gr- scruffy, um, a little bit darker in uniform and not quite as like, I don't know, Loki. You're talking about Infinity War? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you notice he's not wearing the star in Infinity War too. Correct, yeah. We talked about that too. And um, Loki makes fun of him about it in one of the movies. He's like, really, how can you be like, how can you be so positive all the time? And that's not the Captain America we get in Infinity War. Um, and so that arc, I think it's super cool. And so even though it ends the way that it ends in Endgame, it's still really super badass to see it. And then obviously Tony Stark might be one of the greatest, most extreme character arcs that we've seen in a while. Where, yeah. you know, he's the playboy, eccentric playboy. To right. The dude that, you know. Takes the yeah. sacrifice play for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, it is what it is as far. I mean, I would say the same thing about Endgame as I do about kind of what you said about Infinity War. I don't think that movie works if we don't, if it's what is at stake, like the stakes and the ending and what is at stake, they have to match, they have to mirror each other. And so with right. such an extreme scenario and such so much on the line, it's it has to come at a great cost. And so at that point, if you're watching the movie and you're familiar with that, you're kind of like, if it's a good movie, you're not thinking about it because you're suspended belief and you're in the movie. But if you're looking at it analytically or for the third or fourth time around, then you're almost like, oh yeah, I see the writing on the wall. I was just so into the movie that I didn't notice it the first time. And that's probably the hallmark of a good movie. Yeah. Well, and that, that plays into one of my last points um, is <clears throat> describe to me the opening scene of Endgame or Infinity War? Infinity War. It's tragic, lots of death, dark. Um, okay, I'm going to stop you there. Okay. Describe to me the closing scene of Infinity War. Oh, yeah. It's Tra- beautiful. It's sunset. Yeah. He's peaceful. Mm-hmm. He's on the farm. Yeah, because it cuts out with him like walking through the, the um, walking down the the, I mean, I think of it as cornrow, like, basically. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And he sits down on the on his deck and kind of overlook. Yeah, yep. Oh, damn! I didn't think about that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that was pretty cool. I was kind of picking that apart and how it just goes to show. I mean, that's 
it reinforces that he's the hero of this film because it's a transformation. He goes from the hungry seeking warrior to I can finally rest. And it's kind of like, it's kind of, you know, it actually was, this is another thought reflects Tony Stark. Cause what do they talk about with him is that he can never rest. Yeah. And then he gets the, and then what does Potts say to him when he's dying? Rest, Tony, you can rest now. Yeah. 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 Um, because wasn't, there was another part that talks about Thanos and Iron and Tony being connected. And so that's what's just kind of all interesting to me. <clears throat> when we, it's been a while since I've seen this one. So I might need some help remembering it. Um, I, I realized that Tony didn't really, he wasn't super, he wasn't filled with anxiety and nervousness and on edge until the end of the, um, until the end of the first Avengers movie. Cause they touch on it on both of his movies after that. Um, and then even into the Sokovia Accords, his anxiety about protecting the world and all that stuff. It, it literally bleeds into every movie he's in. Yeah. In the first in the first Iron Man, he's not really like that, correct? Or is there something else that he's kind of on edge about? Mm-hmm. No, it's because you were still getting a lot of his like playboyness, but he becomes on edge about his company killing people and serving weapons up, but okay. not to the degree that we see, you know, after he goes into space and fights aliens. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's what really, you know, when we see Iron Man three and him having his anxiety attacks, that's because of Avengers one and the aliens coming to New York. Um, but then I think that steamrolls because Wanda shows him a vision of everyone dying. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So does that happen? I'm trying to think of timeline and chronology there. Um, so that is Age of Ultron. Yeah. Which happens after Iron Man 3. Yeah. Both chronology and timeline. So yeah. probably just exacerbated that anxiety. Yeah. Well, I think he took it on himself to, after seeing that, it, I mean, he wanted to be the hero. He wanted to be the big shot guy, but I think he really took it upon himself at that point too. Cause he's like, I have all the resources. That I have to do this. I can't rest. I've got to make sure this doesn't happen to everybody. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, which probably just makes his story arc even that much more impactful or kind of the end of, ending of what we know to be Tony Stark, at least in this timeline of the MCU. Yeah. All right. All right, man. Well, I don't want to keep you too much. Um, thanks for coming on. And uh, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to shamelessly plug yourself if uh, if somebody wanted to reach out or learn more or kind of what you're up to, where they can find you. So have at it. Oh, how to find me? Uh, um, on Instagram, I guess. Uh, there's Paul Johnson 7. Um, 
shoot me a DM if you're curious to more know about know more about Blake Schneider or whatever. Or I mean, not that you can't research it yourself, but or if you want to tell me how wrong I am, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. That's a T.S. Eliot quote. He's an Irish uh, poet from the uh, 20th century, early 20th century. That quote reminds me of my conversation with Paul because the MCU is not the first to do it, but it is one of the more recent kind of studios to do it. And they are giving us great material and content that improves or increases the rewatchability if you will, of their movies and their series and even the comic books and novels, I'm sure. Because the depth of the characters, their arcs, their backgrounds, their backstories, the lore, the canon, we can continue to learn things down the road from future movies and TV series that will only make the the experience of watching previous movies and series that much better. It's just in further enriching our experience and our ability to get lost and suspend a belief while we're while we're watching these things. So I'd encourage you to go through with an open mind and rewatch some of that material if you have the chance and I'm certain that you won't be let down. Now if you want to connect with me, you can reach me on Instagram at Amazing Moments in Film. You can email me through the email in the uh, show notes, howell.michael.d at gmail.com. And while you're at it, why don't you drop a review and or comment here that helps get the show out and in front of people so that we can improve the listenership and maybe even potentially get it in front of friends or family that you think would be uh, entertained by what we're talking about and what we're doing here. Until next time. <laughs>